Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Has there ever been a time when you felt all alone? Has there ever been a time in your life when maybe you even felt abandoned by your God? You know, maybe it was after the death of a loved one, the loss of income or a job, or maybe it was even after the betrayal of a spouse. You know, maybe the abandonment is because of your own guilt. You know you messed up, you, you made a big mistake, you caused pain for those you love. Everyone's left you, and you feel that even God himself has left you. you know, maybe it was a little more subtle, maybe it was something that started small, but it gradually built up deep inside of you. It was watching friends move away, it was watching relationships that you poured years into, now ending due to time and distance. You know, you may be not saying directly, you know, God, I feel like you've abandoned me, but Nonetheless, that's how you feel. You, you feel as though he's a million miles away. You feel as though you're out wandering all alone in the wilderness. You, you feel as though you're out in exile, that you've been abandoned from the God that you've been trying so desperately hard to follow. Well, you may have heard of Dallas Willard. He was a famous Christian author, philosopher, and professor. And he once wrote of a little boy whose mom had died. You see, Dallas Willard, he also lost his mom as a young child. And he writes that this boy was especially sad and lonely at night. And he would even come into his father's room and ask him if he could sleep with him. And even then, he could not rest until he knew that not only that he was with his father, but that his father's face was turned towards him. Daddy, is your face Turn toward me now? Yes, his father would say. You are not alone. I am with you. My face is turned toward you. And when at last the boy was assured of this, he could finally rest. Have you been there? Have you been lonely, feeling abandoned? You know, maybe you're in that place right now. And I think if we're honest, I, I think we can say that we've all been there at one time or another. And we're not alone. As we continue our Songs of Easter series, our text this morning starts out with the Lord God's response to Israel's accusation that, that God had abandoned them. The nation of Israel was blaming God that he was the reason that they were in exile. 
They felt as though God had left them. They felt as though God had broken his commitment to them, that God had turned his face away from them. So we find God's response to this accusation in our text this morning. If you turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? So where are the divorce papers? Or to whom does the Lord owe money? On what grounds did God cast his people away? You see, God the husband had not divorced himself from Israel, or more specifically the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And God didn't sell them to pay off his, debt, his debts. He's the creator God. He has no debts. You see, God is not cruel. God is not brutal. And in fact, God could have divorced himself from Israel. He had every legal and moral right to do so. If you remember from history that Israel had been unfaithful to him time and time again. But God, being a just and merciful God, never once abandoned them. Never once did he turn his back on them. He continues saying, Behold, for your iniquities you are sold. For your transgressions your mother was sent away. So the Lord is saying the cause of the exile is simple. It is your sin. It was your iniquity that caused the separation. It was Israel's sin that brought about their rejection. It was not God, but Israel's sin that separated them from their God. Israel's sin separated them from their God. Verse 2, why when I came was there no man? Why when I called was there no one to answer? Where were you? I came looking for you, but you didn't answer. When I called out your name, I couldn't find you. You didn't answer. Where were you? God had been calling out to Israel through the prophets, but there was no one there to be found. There was no one there who was listening. There was no one there who would answer the call to obedient faith. Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. Is my hand shortened? The Lord asks, am I at some sort of a disadvantage that I can't deliver you from this exile? Am I powerless? The Lord God goes on to remind them of not one, but of three examples of his power and his authority. He reminds them, do you not remember of the Red Sea, how I drove back the sea by a strong wind? that I made the sea dry land, allowing you to pass through it? How I did it again at the, at the Jordan River? Have you forgotten the very first plague in Egypt, how I turned the Nile to blood, killing all the fish? How for the ninth plague, I made the sky dark for three whole days? You see, the Lord's power to redeem his people is undeniable. It was Israel's sin that separated them from God. And just like Israel, it is our sin that separates us from God. 
Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But also like Israel, we are not without hope. Our text continues with the perfect servant beginning in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So the servant says that the Lord God, or Jehovah Adonai, my Lord God, has given him the tongue of those who are taught, that he may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. So God has given the servant the words to say, the words that are able to encourage and support, words that have the power to heal, words that can change a person's life forever. And you may be asking, well, <laughs> how does this happen? Is it some miraculous event where God says, Behold, now thou shalt have wisdom? No. <laughs> That'd be nice, but no. And he says, Morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So God speaks. God has given the servant the choice to listen. God speaks, giving him the opportunity to respond and to answer back. God calls out to him, giving him the opportunity to become a disciple and to learn. So we see this in contrast to that of the nation of Israel in verse 2, who when the Lord called out to them, there was no answer. There was no response. So we see here in verse 4 that the servant responded. The servant was obedient. The servant listened. The servant learned as he was taught. He was equipped with knowledge. And we know that in this third servant song, the servant, this obedient servant, is none other than Jesus himself. You may remember from the, the story from Luke 2, where it tells us of when Jesus was 12 years old, and after celebrating the feast of the Passover, that Jesus was left behind in Jerusalem. You know, Mary and Joseph, they, you know, they may have thought he was out playing with his friends, or he was hanging out in some other part of the caravan back home. But when they went to look for him, what happened? They had lost the Messiah. Folks, they lost God. You know, talk about feeling lonely and abandoned. That was a pretty low moment. Look to verses 46 and 47 says, After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So Jesus had the ear of a disciple. We see that when Jesus was just 12 years old, well before Jesus had even called his first disciples, Jesus was a disciple himself. He committed himself to learning. And when his parents found him, where they find him? They found him seated among the teachers in the temple. It's amazing. And we also see throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, that as an adult, Jesus would, would take himself away early in the morning and go, off and go off by himself and pray to communicate with his Father. He was eager to listen and to be discipled by his Father. He goes on in verse 5, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. 
This speaks of Christ's faithful obedience with his life. Jesus did not rebel. He didn't change his mind. You know, in Exodus 21, we were told that when a servant wanted to become a permanent servant to his master, that his master would bore or pierce a hole in his ear. And this hole indicated that he was a slave to his master for life. He couldn't be freed. He couldn't be sold. You see, he loved his master. He, he felt safe and secure with his master. In Exodus 21, it's clear that it tells us that the reason behind this is love. You see, many times when a servant made this decision, it's because he had fallen in love and had married a servant girl. So to guarantee that they would not be separated, he would pledge himself to his master for life. So while Jesus himself didn't have his ear opened or bored out, what he did do, he was willingly he gave up his body to be nailed on a cross. He gave up his body to be crucified because he loved us, because he did not want to return to heaven without us. Israel was rebellious, but the servant was obedient. He said, I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Even though he knew that his future included suffering and shame, he didn't turn and run. He didn't try to escape. As God's servant, he willingly offered his body to his tormentors. Verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. The servant remained obedient despite the hatred and humiliation, despite the pain and hurt that he knew he would face. And we know that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy in Mark 15, verses 17 to 20. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. You know, Jesus could have drawn a sword to fight back just as one of his disciples did, but he didn't. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the crowd, to destroy the soldiers, angels that would set him free, but he didn't. The servant said that he gave himself over to this type of treatment willingly. He did it obediently. Why? Because he loves us. He, didn't, he doesn't want to return to heaven without us. Israel's sin separated them from God. Number two, our servant's obedience secures us to God. Verse 7, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. So Jehovah Adonai, my Lord God, helps me. Therefore, because of this, I'm not going to be disgraced. The servant was so certain of God's help that he was resolutely determined to be unswayed by whatever hardship that he might face. He wouldn't be humiliated. He wouldn't be put to shame. Luke 9.51 says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face 
to go to Jerusalem. He set his face like a flint. Some translations say that he was determined or he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus demonstrated this determination by setting his face to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. He knew it was coming. But he found comfort in the fact that the Lord God would help him. I won't be put to shame. The servant states that at the end of the day, it'll be worth it. God is with him. Everything is going to be okay. Romans 5.8 states that God shows his love for us in that we, while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Through Jesus' obedience, through his love for us, we're provided a way to salvation. The servant's obedience secures us to God. Verse 8, he who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. I like how one translation puts it. He who gives me justice is near. Who will dare to bring charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. See, the sovereign Lord is on my side. Who will declare me guilty? All my enemies will be destroyed, like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. And Jesus in John 8, 46 said, Which one of you convicts me of sin? No one could convict Jesus of any sin. They tried and failed. Not one person could stand up and accuse Jesus of sin. He said, my champion is here. The one who declares Jesus in the right is near. And we read that all his enemies will wear out like an old garment. They'll be eaten by moths. So no matter, no matter how much he was mocked or mistreated, Jesus had the full confidence of the Lord God's support. Verse 10, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Who among you fears the Lord? We find in Proverbs, Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Does that sound familiar? Back in verse 4 of our text, the servant had been given the tongue of those who were taught, a tongue of wisdom, a tongue of knowledge, but fools don't want wisdom or instruction. Fools don't want godly counsel in their lives. But those who fear the Lord, those who obey the voice of his servant, those who obey the voice of Jesus, they want wisdom. They desire knowledge. They desire to be a disciple. So who is it among you who fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of the Lord 
and rely on his God. So the author is reminding them, you can trust the God who brought your people out of Egypt, leading them with a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's reminding the disciples that he who vindicates Jesus is near. He's telling us today that Jesus is the perfect servant whose obedience gives us life. Jesus is the perfect servant whose obedience gives us life. You know, the, the encouragement for the nation of Israel during the exile, the encouragement for the disciples as they watched Jesus being hauled away, the encouragement for us today is this. Even though you're in bondage, even though you're uncertain of what is happening around you, even though you're surrounded by the darkness of this world, there is hope. For those who are walking in darkness, those who are feeling abandoned, broken, humiliated, lonely, you fill in the blank. Trust in the name of the Lord your God. I like how one commentator put it. He said, walking in the dark when we cannot see the outcome is the time to trust the word of God and rely on the God of the word. Church, we can rely on our God. But in verse 11, the Lord leaves us with a different option, a different choice. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you've kindled. This you have for my hand. You shall lie down in torment. So continuing with this metaphor of light, the Lord commands those who want to provide their own source of light rather than trusting in the light of the Lord to go ahead and go ahead and light your own fire. Go ahead, walk in the light of that fire. So basically the, the prophet is telling the nation of Israel, he's telling us today to go ahead and try to do it on our own. Go ahead and light your own fire and see where that takes you. Because eventually it's going to go out. Eventually, it's going to lead you to torment. Eventually, it's going to lead you to destruction. One pastor asked, how are we to survive this place? Isaiah presents us with two options. One, we can trust in the name of the Lord and rely on our God. Or two, we can kindle a fire. We encircle ourselves with torches. And we can walk in the light of our own fire. So we can rely on our God in the darkness of confusion or we can try to dispel this darkness with our own light. By relying on God, we draw close to him. We abide by his word and we can trust that dawn will break. As a fitting conclusion for this third servant song, those of us who have let, listened are invited to follow his example. For those of us who fear the Lord, those of us who obey his voice and long for light in our darkness, the servant is our model for trusting in his Lord and relying on his God. The sovereign power and the covenant love of God will be ours to take us through our suffering. It will hold us when we are worn and weary. You know, in turn, we will become the disciples to whom the Lord God will give the tongue of the learned, 
so that we too will know how to sustain with a word those who are weary. You see, we can take God at his word. We can rely on him. You know, there will be times in our lives when life will be hard. There will be times when we'll walk in darkness without any hope, without a ray of light. There'll be times when we feel lonely, maybe even abandoned. The nation of Israel may have felt like they were abandoned, but were they? Did God provide a certificate of divorce? Did God provide, did God sell them to his creditors? No, they were in darkness. Like the, servants, the servant himself, who so many years later would suffer tribulation and hardship, the nation of Israel was feeling alone. They were feeling abandoned. There's a story of a gentleman who was visiting a friend in California a few years ago, and he writes, as we were driving around the busy streets of L.A., I noticed that my friend's cell phone was locked with an unusual password, pro-nobis. So I asked him what pro-nobis meant and why he chose that for a password. Well, he told me that it was Latin and it meant for us. And then he suddenly started choking up. So I thought, why would these two Latin words cause so much emotion to him? Well, he composed himself and then explained that after walking through some deep personal pain, true healing came when he learned that God is for us, pro nobis. My friend said that after his parents' divorce, a season when he assumed that God didn't care about him or that God had given up on him, he finally found hope through those two simple words. When he decided to believe that God was pro nobis, that God was for him, that God had even sent Christ to die for him, he could then decide to lay down his life for others. Has God abandoned us? Has God abandoned you? You know, even though our culture, our society seems to be growing darker by the minute, we can trust in the name of the Lord. We can rely on our God. We can be confident that his light will shine bright. We can be confident that he is here helping us, working in us, working through us. As believers, as those who fear the Lord, yes, we may suffer frustration, injustice, humiliation, even abuse, but those who walk in darkness without any light, we can trust in the name of the Lord. We can trust in the name of our Lord. We can rely on our God. The same God who was with Jesus when the soldiers whipped him, when they pulled out his beard, when they put a crown of thorns on his head, when they spit in his face, that same God is here with us right now. The same God who was with Jesus when they nailed him up on a cross. The same God who raised him from the dead. He's calling you. He's calling me to trust and to rely on him. Jesus is the perfect servant whose obedience gives us life. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Through this text that was written some 700 years before the birth of Christ, he speaks. 
He's speaking to us, revealing a choice. We can walk in the light or we can walk in the darkness. We can trust and rely on our God or not. For those who have not accepted the light of Jesus today, you have that opportunity to do that. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can pray in your heart, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. In this very moment, I accept you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sin and save me. If you've made that decision this morning, you are now part of the family of God. And there's a party going on in heaven in your honor. And the same God who was with Jesus, the perfect servant, he's the same God who's with you right now. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the truths that you've spoken to each one of us this morning. I thank you for the hope that you've given, the lives that you've changed. And Father, as our world is a dark and sometimes lonely place, help us to always remember that we can rely on you to be our bright light, that we can always trust you. Thank you for your perfect an obedient servant, Jesus, in him whose name we pray. Amen.